Hey friends, for episode 38, I'm joined by Darren Alderson, Senior Associate at Buchan Group, a global design studio. Darren's based here in Christchurch, New Zealand. He was recently highly commended in the New Zealand Institute of Building Industry Awards in the consultant category for his work on the project Langdon's Quarter, a dining precinct here in Christchurch. Darren is involved in architecture and he makes sense. So I thought it was worth recording a conversation with him. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Darren, take me back to when it first started. Why architecture? How did you get involved in it? How did it all come to be? Um, well, I guess my, my father was a carpenter. Mm-hmm. Um, he's uh, retired for the third time now. <laughs> Um, but that seems like truly retired. So yeah. um, from a from an early age, I've been involved in in the industry at a at a residential scale. He was a one man band. Yep. Um, you know, renovation specialist. Nice. Uh, perfectionist, and and obviously had the skills to back that up. Mm-hmm. Old school carpenter. So I've always been been involved in the industry in that respect. Um, but also saw the downside of being a carpenter and working in the rain and mm-hmm. having a having a crook back and all of those uh, aspects that tend to come with it. So um, so I, I guess I figured I had to move in a slightly different direction. So um, was always interested in, in the in the architecture mm-hmm. and the what what happened between the idea and, and being built. Um, and so um, Originally, I'd had envisaged I would be an architect. I would go to university and do a degree. But um, as I worked, got through a bit older and did a bit of work for builders through school and through through holidays and things, mm-hmm. um, I kind of became more interested in the technical side of it. Right. Uh, and so I ended up uh, enrolling in Polytech and doing a... a NZCAD as it was back in the day, New Zealand yeah. Certificate in Architectural Drafting. Yeah. Um, which is the, I guess, the nuts and bolts technical drawing mm-hmm. qualification um, with the view that that was probably a great technical base to then carry on and do the architecture degree. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, finished that and rolled into some, some earning some money and doing some work and kind of moved away from the design side okay. um it's not a area i considered myself particularly skilled in mm-hmm. compared to my classmates who were um, probably stronger in design than in that technical ability um and so never pursued the design side or the degree course and um yeah basically ended up in a technical role as a draftee mm-hmm. uh, and um yeah moved on up from there mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Um, to, I guess, where I am now, which is a senior associate in a reasonably large architectural practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's moved up through being a draftsperson, being a senior draftsperson, being a project leader, mm-hmm. being an associate, being a senior associate. Mm-hmm. So tell me about your day-to-day now. What, is a, what does it look like? So um, that's a question my daughter asks me most days. Yeah. Uh, what did you do at work today? And uh, it's pretty easily summed up 
in uh, checking drawings, writing emails, and attending meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and depending on the projects I'm involved in at the time and the phase that those are at, checking drawings is largely um, managing the the staff, managing what they're documenting, um, QA and approval of all of that side of it. Or if we're in a construction phase, then it's uh, shop drawing reviews um, and coordination with consultant documentation mm-hmm. um, plays a picks up a large part of my my day. Okay. Um, and then the other aspects, meetings and emails. Well, that's that's depending again on the phase, but it's uh, it's um, construction administration and construction observation from an architectural perspective. Mm. So um, that's following the projects through being built being consented all those phases of work mm-hmm. okay yeah okay so you're in in the business of delivering projects how much are you like on site as well uh, with your projects i'm interested in yeah so that varies a lot um especially if the project is close by mm. if the project's close by the convenience of being able to pop down and actually talk something through with somebody overrides the um the hassle of uh, of travel. Mm-hmm. Um, if a project's remote, then then we're a lot more limited. But um, it depends on also what we're paid for. Uh, we do construction level monitoring. So at one level, you'll visit the site typically fortnightly, mm-hmm. and you might spend half a day or a day on that site and try and work through all the issues that you need to work through. Mm-hmm. Um, our general engagement would ask that we um, witness or observe uh, a sample of most aspects of the build. So, for example, wall framing. Mm-hmm. We'd expect to see a sample of wall framing. We don't want to look at every square meter of wall framing. Yeah. But we'd be expected by our client to have looked at some wall framing and seen that it's the right size. There's insulation in it. The layering's right. Um, you know those sorts of things. But but certainly not every piece of wall framing. No. Okay. So we look to see a representative sample. Of yeah. most or if not all aspects of a project mm-hmm. um, again very heavily um, varied by what the project is right so the work I'm involved in uh, is basically non-residential so it's commercial mm-hmm. um, we do multi-unit residential but we we don't get involved in, in small housing mm-hmm. most of our work is mixed-use commercial um, so uh, my work personally has largely been retail, um, mm-hmm. and by retail I'm meaning the base build retail, not shop fit outs. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of shopping centre yep. work I've traditionally been involved in. Yeah, right. So like um, this may be way off, but in terms of what you're doing on site, is that something like what a role that doesn't happen all that much, but was around back in the day like the clerk of works is that kind of similar to that in terms of your representation for the client or yeah it, it has a lot of similarities but, right but we always um go out of our way to point out we're not a clerk of works so yeah okay the, by definition being a clerk of works means you're there all the time, all the time. and you're seeing everything you're not seeing a representative sample you're seeing everything so yeah that person was often responsible for the quality, mm. quality checks um, of everything. Um, 
quite often they'd be involved in um, in the quantity work. So if, right. if there'd been an allowance to make 50 penetrations through a wall, they'd be the guy that was responsible for saying, well, actually, guys, you only did 48, so you need to give us the money back. Or okay. actually, you did 60, and here's a bit more. Yeah. So so they were much more heavily involved um, in that rigorous um, quality assurance work, mm-hmm. whereas we... Um, we're reliant a lot more on representative sample. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we physically can't be on site all the time because the client would never want to pay us for that. (laughs) So what we're there for is we're checking primarily a few things. We're checking to make sure that uh, it's being built in accordance with the documentation. Mm -hmm. It's being built in accordance with um, the relevant building code and standards um, and, and and like resource consent, you know, resource consent conditions are often one that slips past because they're just a sort of a wishy-washy description that says you'll have to do something, but trying to make that happen is sometimes a challenge. Mm-hmm. And and then we're there to look, to look at quality and make sure that, yeah, what's being delivered is meeting that quality and, and if there are issues, addressing them as early in the process as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that we obviously focus on when we're on site um, is is just trying to foresee any issues as early in the process as possible. So if we can see that yeah. there's something tricky coming up, then we'll try and talk that through with the contractor and make sure they're understanding everything. But largely we're there just so that there's an opportunity for the contractor to say, hey, while you're here, can you explain yeah. what this is or how you want that to work? Or you know, we reckon this is going to be really tricky. What if we did it like this? Yeah. And that's where we become the custodian of the design. So the the guys like me who are physically on site doing the um, supervision of delivery, doing the observation, we're kind of protecting the guys who worked on the design and what they, their vision was and making sure that gets delivered and not watered down on the way. Okay. So it's about understanding that design and what are the important features of it mm-hmm. and yes if that's a way you build it can do something a little bit simpler or it's going to give a, a very similar result and also um, you know going to be a more robust solution mm. then part of my role is assessing whether that's a good thing to go forward with or not or whether it compromises the design too much yeah okay makes sense so yeah it's a pretty wide-ranging sort of a thing you know people say what do you do when you go on site well you kind of walk around and look at things <laughs> yeah um, and you know you just, yeah you always see the, the boys over there sniggering going well, the guy's just standing there looking right? <laughs> you know, he's writing notes what's he doing yeah um and you know we provide reports and stuff on on what we've viewed and obviously there's a bunch of photos nowadays as well so mm. mm-hmm. it's um it's about yeah, keeping a record and building a history of things we saw and you know, things, especially if there's a few problems and we're like, okay, we're pointing out that this is a problem and this hasn't been done right. But next time we turn up, it's covered up. Yeah. So, you know, as I say, a representative sample, we'll be like, okay, well, it'd be good to see another one of those that you've done mm. <laughs> since then and it's been done differently. So, mm. um, yeah, it's a, it's a wide-ranging role, but it's... Um, it's an interesting one because we kind of have to be almost an expert at everything. Everything, yeah. But you've got to, reality is you've got to know enough about everything to know that there could be a problem there and you can go away and figure out whether it's a problem or not. Yeah. So that's a large part of it is, is not being um, 
not pretending you know it all and mm. um and not being scared to say you know you got a question i don't know but i'll go away and i'll figure it out yeah and um and you know follow through on it yeah yeah that's a pretty cool role you know i think when um at least maybe builders think of architects as kind of um airy fairy sort of applied artists but really what you're saying is like obviously your construction knowledge is pretty strong if you're able to come in there and take notes like you know if you don't mind me saying you must be quite like a construction nerd in terms of you enjoy that sort of thing like how do you how did you manage to build up such a wide-ranging base of knowledge where okay maybe you're not drawing the design or you're not dreaming up what this building looks like but you know exactly what it takes to deliver it well, I'm quite old. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, experience. It, it really comes with experience. And I guess I was yeah. really lucky to have have had that really simple grounding of like working for builders when I was at school mm. and, and sort of figuring out how a house goes together. And that's the first step. And once you've gone, yeah, I can sort of see there's an order and there's a, there's a you yeah, know, there's no point doing that until you've done that mm. or, or it's going to be in the way and understanding that and then... Probably my first job out of Polytech, even before I was qualified, um, back in the day I used to do a whole lot of Polytech papers and then you had to do two years of, of work in an architect's office and you had to keep a logbook, a bit like an apprenticeship. Yep. You had to keep a logbook and say when you did all these certain things. So um, it was a lot more stringent a qualification as it is now. Um, but yeah, that first job that I had as I came out of Polytech, they they were gave me a lot of free reign and they right. let me manage projects which I was not capable of doing but they were quite happy to just sort of shepherd me along and give me the amount of guidance that I needed so that I was allowed to make mistakes mm. but not big mistakes mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they were quite happy for me to throw myself under the bus or the builder and yeah right and 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 you know be wrong yeah. Um, and that's kind of the best way to learn. Yeah. And to be fair, the builders were, were really good as okay. long as you weren't, you know, you learn a lesson when you're the arrogant young fella trying to tell the old guys how to do their job. Yeah. Um, as long as you're, you know, you're up front and say, look, this is what I think. Mm. Do you think that's mm. right? And they'd be like, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, um, it was a great learning experience. Mm. And then I guess from that, um, the next job I went into, which was um, overseas, so I worked in Dublin mm. um, for, a, for a long time, or for four years. Um, that was quite a different involvement, very different construction methods, and um, we were... I was working on projects that were largely developer-led. Mm-hmm. So the documentation wasn't the same done the same way. So it was you were documenting for somebody that knew how to build it. So a lot more you were just setting out what they had to build. Right. Um, and that was largely apartment-type work, a little bit of um, mixed use, you know, retail, childcare, apartments above sort of stuff. But largely, it was um, it was residential apartment sort of work, mm-hmm. um, and again there that just sort of pushed me in a different direction. Mm. Um, and then when I came back to New Zealand um, and took this job, um, 
15 years ago. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of rolled on from there. But but to come back to your original question, uh, it's experience and it's just being able to um, problem solve but also and think slightly outside the box, but also to be able to um, take something that's been done or happened before and, and apply that to something that's similar but not necessarily the same. So it's just about... Yeah, thinking it through, but also it's a very, like I try and make it a very collaborative process as well. So, you know, the last thing I'm going to do is turn up on site and pull the builder over and go, you've done this all wrong and this is what you should do. Mm. It's, it's a, I try make it a really collaborative and say, look, what's happening here? And, you know, this is the issue that I can see with it done this way and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And mm. also... You know, they'll, they'll see RFIs, we get RFIs all the time, and they'll say, oh, we've got a problem here. And so, you know, the first thing is, well, what do you think? Mm. You know, what, what, what do you think's the answer? And, right. you know, I find the best builder is the builder that sends you the RFI that says we've got a bit of a problem here. I think you could do this or you could do this. Mm. What do you think? Mm. <laughs> and then I can go, well, yeah, that one's good or that one's good or what about this mm-hmm. or why you know what was the issue with it working in the first place so mm. to, to turn it in you know and expertise is something that you never finish <laughs> no um, you know so i think um you know i learned a few good lessons um you know one of the projects i was involved in recently uh young engineer who just qualified really clever guy really lacked some personal skills and communication and he got offside with the contractors really quickly because he was he was literally just telling them they were, they were doing it wrong and they had to do this and they had to do that and they had to do it this way and you know to the point that he was sort of saying well this is how you drill a hole <laughs> and right. you can see the builders are just sitting there tapping their feet going all right yeah. mate all right yeah. mate do you want to show us how to drill that <laughs> hole here's the here's a, here's a big drill you probably can't pick it up so yeah you know and and that's a example of someone going in and just not not reading the situation you know you've mm. got to you've got to ask the guys why it's not working and explain there's other ways to approach it you know, have you approached it this way and maybe this is not the right drill and you know maybe yeah. we should be drilling it from the other side and not, you know not not just coming in and going you're doing it all wrong mm. um you know get someone in to do it right you know, that's yeah it's not gonna work no and so if you're not in that collaborative relationship then the builder's just gonna throw you under the bus they're not gonna offer you any solutions mm. they're gonna watch you sweat true so you know it's um the whole approach has got to be as collaborative as possible and um and you know communication is so important yeah in every aspect of of the industry we're in every industry really but even more so um i guess right through the process so the first time that that the builder understands what the communication is is when you give them the drawings and mm-hmm. if your drawings can't communicate what it is that he's got to build then you've failed straight away yeah you know what chance have you got if your mm. drawings don't demonstrate what it is you want to build yeah and um and that's that's another aspect of of the qa that we try and do before stuff goes out the door is is sit back and look at the drawings and go where am i going to start what's what's he want first 
he probably wants to sit out where the corners are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and just trying to go fresh eyes. I don't need to know anything about this project, but I need to know that if I flick through the first four sheets, I'm hopefully going to get some information about what it looks like, mm-hmm. what it set out is. And, and, you know, ideally you want to know what the key drivers are. Like, you know, if this is the set out, but you're working within some existing constraints and those constraints are not exactly where everyone thinks they are, mm-hmm. then you've got to know that this is the important bit. Start here. And if there's some tolerance, then it's taken up there. Yeah. So, you know, communicating and those sorts of things from, from you know, drawings is the very start, but just um, working with the consultants, working with well, even the client, um, trying to communicate things clearly and easily is, is really key. Yeah. Um, and I guess probably one thing that I am known for is... Uh, is probably being a bit too honest sometimes, and right. um, I guess I do have some some I have had uh, have had some advice <laughs> that I should be probably less honest with some clients in terms of no, we're not going to meet that deadline. Yeah, right. <laughs> Your deadline is ridiculous. <laughs> um, so, like, I get told to just approach that a lot more gently, but okay. I, I guess. Um, I like to always say to a client that I've known for a long time, I know you thought I was being very abrupt and very un, uh, unhelpful at the start of the project, but I was being honest and I think you'll find <laughs> I was right. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's not what you want to hear, but it, but I'm not just here to say yes. So, yeah, you know, I guess a lot of the time that's, that's a judgment call and I don't always get that right. Mm-hmm. But um, sure. communication is so important, so important. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. I have a few things to ask you about what you've just said. I guess I'd start with, it seems like you've highlighted the importance of having a pretty wide range of knowledge, at least for your own job. You couldn't be a specialist on one certain thing. How do you, what would you say to kind of young people across different fields within construction? Is it worth pursuing and making a goal perhaps in the early stages of your career to try and do as much as you can and have a wide-ranging, instead of going, right, I'm going to specialise there and I'm going to make this money because I know I can or, or I'm going to get really good at one thing. Um, I mean, your experience sounds like you went pretty wide mm. and, and now you're kind of overseeing a wide range of things. Yeah. Um, do you think that's a worthwhile kind of career path in terms of your ability to understand things and always be engaged with different aspects of the project? I'm, I'm sure it wouldn't get kind of tiresome. You're not looking at similar things all the time. It's always different, you know? Yeah, I think it's, it's different strokes for different folks. I mean, some people right. just thrive on being that expert at a thing but you've got to find your position and if you can get a job doing that focused thing Mm. all well and good but what happens if you can't Mm. yeah (laughs) and you're like oh i'm excellent at this and they're like well we need that Mm -hmm. and we need that and that um but um i think what was interesting in the first year of polytech is we did do quite a broad um, learning, so we, we, we had to do a quantity surveying paper. Right. We we did, um, we, we built a house. We, we literally built a small house in a massive warehouse mm-hmm. um, as part of our um, applying that learning. Yeah. Um, and I think that was good because you actually get to think about what 
other people have to do, and that's that comes back to that communication of what we're doing. Yeah. You know, when you're drawing or documenting something, you've got to think about the people that are using your drawing. So you might have a quantity surveyor who's got to measure stuff or, or schedule everything. And if you can think about some of the things they want to take out of your documents and make those clear, mm. then that's that's good. You know, that's helping. Um, you might not get the direct benefit of that, but the QS is going to go, wow, that was that was really helpful and that made things easy. Yeah. And so when you stuff something up, up else, elsewhere, he's going to be like, we can take care of that. We'll cover that mm-hmm. because, you mm-hmm. know, that's true yeah you know, there's a bit yeah. of give and take and absolutely yeah i guess another thing <laughs> i wanted to touch on was just the importance of communicating well is what you've said quite a lot something i talk about a little bit on the podcast recently is at least as a builder i can only really speak for myself because that's my own profession is when i'm looking at plans whether it be architectural drawings or engineer drawings or something from a consultant I'm not only trying to dissect what they're saying, but I'm trying to find out the language that they're speaking, if you know what I mean. Not just focusing on this exact detail. It's like you've got to try and jump inside someone else's head and think about what were they thinking when they drew that and how they wanted that to come across. Is that something, you know, at least in this firm or you yourself as someone who's drawing details or is handling the kind of technical aspect of the construction... Is that something you're sitting back on? Because I, I could I could imagine it'd be easy to get into an echo chamber of this is how we produce drawings and you should know exactly what we're on about all the time. Yep. Um, how do you jump outside that and think, well, someone else is building the thing that we're yeah. drawing. We better be able to communicate this well to them. Yeah, it's something that we do spend a bit of time on and we tend to find that some people focus on what they want out of the documents mm. and you know for example there's been a push to go to keynoting which basically means there's an arrow which points to something on the drawing and then there's this terrible code which will say one three five seven f yeah and you'll go cool yeah. what what is that and then you have to open a specification look up what that is and it'll say 13 jib board <laughs> yeah. to level four yeah and it's like and that's that's like fundamentally for me that's that's just rubbish you know? yeah there's agreed. no way like you, you, again it's putting yourself in other people's um, shoes and going what do they want out of this yeah they don't want to be looking at codes and trying to figure out what they are no if you must put codes and things on a drawing then it's got to be a legend next to it you yeah. know it's gonna be there yeah um you know you've got to you think of the guy in the rain with a with a single drawing flapping around in the wind going, you know, how's that guy gonna <laughs> one three five seven F Yeah. You know, so yeah. Um it's something that, that we do spend time on trying to understand and, and look give feedback is yeah. is my is a great piece of advice. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, we love good feedback. Yeah. But we still love bad feedback as well you know yeah if if you've suffered through a set of our drawings and gone this thing drove me nuts this Mm. you know this thing you do here doesn't work for me for this reason then Mm -hmm. it's like wow we never realized that was an issue yeah exactly there's a different way we can do that you know and if we can learn from that that's great yeah um i 
probably have to say that largely the feedback on our documentation is good and rather than you know having to solicit um you know what we do we have to we have to go out of our way and go come on what's bad about our drawings because you know they're usually like oh we like the way you did that because it made it really easy for us to tender or Mm. we don't normally see that and that was really good and it is something we work really hard on and and we do value the the feedback that we get um from the industry and uh, I guess the best thing I can do for the practice that I work for is is make sure that the chatter in the in the industry is all good chatter. True. Um, and that that it's hard to measure the benefits of that, but you know if you've got a a client who comes to you and you sort of don't know where they came from and you're like, oh, you know, I've got a job out of you had a how did you make the initial connection? They might be going, well, I know a guy that works there and did this and you were the architects on that and he said you guys were good. So mm. Mm. here I am, you know, like in that, that kind of feedback is and chatter in the industry is brilliant, but yeah, equally that can be very damaging if, <laughs> if it's bad feedback. But, um, you know, yeah. good feedback goes to everyone, bad feedback back to us directly. <laughs> but, you know, um, yeah. Honestly, good feedback. Oh, well, sorry, any feedback is good feedback. Yeah. Um, but going back to your question, I guess again, I guess is um, don't be afraid to to say to your your architect or your consultants, whoever they are, just talk me through your drawings. Mm. Just explain some of the basic principles to me, because you know the stuff that we just take for granted that you're going to understand. Yeah. Um, we certainly have no hesitation to spend half an hour just going through the drawing set and, you know, just just answering questions or like, well, how does that tie into well, it's just here? There's a drawing over here that ties those two together, and it's like, yeah, sometimes right. it's not all that. We think it's logical, but perhaps it's not. Mm. Um, mm. You know, our drawing set's always arranged the same way, and we take it for granted that people understand that as well as we do. But yeah. I'm sure they don't. No, yeah, um, okay. you know, we. Yeah, the way we reference off and we'll have, maybe this is too specific, but I, I, I like to document in packages. So on the project I'm doing at the moment, we've got a long facade on a street, which is broken up into eight different designs because it's, it's a large project, but it's mimicking small-scale development. So there's, okay. it like reads as eight little buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll document those as a specific package each right. with a little bit of context on how they meet. Yeah. Because I know that the contractor is probably not going to have one foreman running all those buildings. He's going to have True. have one person responsible for each one or maybe one person responsible for two. Mm. And if they don't have to have a whole pack of drawings, if they don't have to pull a drawing from there and a drawing from there and a drawing from there, yeah. it's got to be easier. Yeah. So I'll document that as consecutive sheets mm. you know plan plan section section elevation elevation and then sets of details yeah rather than splitting them off into the primary locations of all the plans then all the sections then all the elevations then all the details yeah we'll slap them all together and you know those sorts of things i can talk that through with the contractor in 10 minutes and explain the principle and they'll go Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas, you know, um, if you don't have the opportunity to explain that to them, they'll email you and go, can't find this. Mm-hmm. 
like, oh, it's here, 4,021. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, I think, again, that communication and that ability to actually just catch the consultant while they're on site and go, can you just, you got five minutes to just run me through this? Yeah. I don't think anyone will say no. Like, Yeah, that that's interesting because one of the things that, at least that's been bred into me as a builder is like, as soon as I talk to an architect, it's going to cost someone money that isn't me, and it freaks me out. So I was like, I need to figure this out myself because if I have to get someone on site, it's going to be bad, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Maybe that, that depends on the engagement, I guess. Yeah. I and mean, the projects that um, that I'm involved in, we're paid a flat rate. Your observation, we, our observation fee is X amount divided over the program, which might be eighteen months. Yeah. We get paid a certain amount a month. <laughs> yeah and we're there so yeah um, you know it's going to be different on a small scale project you know you might not even have an architect on call you, that you're right they might be on an on an alley rate which says uh adam rang me this day and he kept me on the phone for an hour and a half so here's a here's a bill for 600 bucks <laughs> yeah pretty much pretty much but you know that, that's not always the case but on a case-by-case basis then uh yeah check, yeah check it out but yeah I guess as well as that, um, you know, something I'm thinking about is, and you touched on in your early experiences, um, your first job, you say you kind of had enough rope to hang yourself in terms of learning opportunities. Do you think that we're doing that well enough these days with young people in terms of here's, you can kind of allow them to make mistakes or, or let that happen because we know that that lets people learn yeah that's are we a, as tolerant as that as we should be i don't or? think we are yeah. i think that's a tough one and i'm probably guilty of that myself mm. like um i don't know maybe they were maybe they were good days where we where we got paid plenty and maybe all the doctors and lawyers houses that i did bathrooms and kitchens and um <laughs> maybe they paid a bit of a premium but yeah. um that is a tough one because even now in this environment, we would tend to try and stop someone from making a mistake before it happens. Um, but gee, it's a great way to learn. Yeah. Um, and you remember it, you know. Oh, yeah. Stop someone from making a mistake and you'll probably still stop them again mm. next time. But, um, you know, if they make that mistake, maybe they will learn from it a bit harder, a bit faster. Um, it's a really tough one. Um I don't, I think in the last few years it's been pretty tough and I don't think there's a whole lot of tolerance for um, for, for learning yeah. that way. Um, it's, a, it's a tough one. Um, mm. But I think it's, I'm still a fan of explaining what the problem is, how to solve it and why we shouldn't do that again. Yeah. Um, you know, that's probably one, I might be guilty of it again myself of not, not slowing down long enough to explain why all my mark, why all those marks all over your drawing are there. Yeah, but I do try to explain. You know, to try and take that time to explain. You've got to change this because it's going to be a problem for this reason and this reason and this reason. Mm-hmm. But you know, sometimes when it's the third time you've marked up the same thing, it's just like get on with it. Oh, totally. So you know, it's, yeah, um, it's it's again a bit of horses for courses. It horses is. For horses. Yeah, sometimes I wonder if it's uh, better or worse because it forces you to really, like, you either learn or you don't, you know? The other thing is, like, I I definitely felt responsible 
when I made those mistakes. Right. And, you know, I'd be like, I realise this has been a problem and it's cost either the builder or the, the client or maybe my practice some money. Mm-hmm. But, you know, not everybody feels that way. A lot of people are just like, oh, well, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah so, true. So yeah. It's, you've got to focus it on the people that are worth it. You know, that's right. You've got to. Not everybody is the same. Not everybody has the same passion or the same level of responsibility. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Before we go on to the next question, something else that I wanted to touch on, where you brought up. I mean, we've probably already touched on it, but how do we communicate better, especially between the different subgenres of our industry. You know, something that connects uh, you and myself is our membership in the NZIOB, which in New Zealand is kind of a pan-industry membership organisation of a whole bunch of different subgenres of the construction industry. Um, and I guess the ultimate goal there is to bring all these people together and talk to each other and develop simultaneously. Any kind of learnt experience on how we better our communication through the different kind of genres within the construction industry? Yeah, well, NZIOB um, attracted me in the first instance because I don't really fit into the NZIA because I'm not an architect, okay. although the practice is a member. Yeah. Um, and I was much more interested in furthering those conversations with contractors and consultants than I was with other architects. Right. Um, you don't while you are all doing comparative work, talking with other architects is not going to gain you any um, ability to understand how your work influences other people. True. Because they're your competitors. Mm. So no one's no one's really out there sharing tips. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas NZIB, um, I was more interested in... Um, being able to understand what others were doing well or not well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I guess one of the big things that, it, that attracted me to NZIOB is I know um, the site visits are very um, are done very often and very well. And that ability to get on site, on other people's sites, and see how things are being managed in all aspects, again, a broad, mm. <laughs> a broad approach to wanting to know how everything's going together, mm. um, and being able to, to to ask what things went well and what things didn't go well based on the architecture mm. was something that, that was invaluable and really, really enjoyed um, being involved in that. Yeah. But as you say, being pan-industry, it's it's a much broader association than you're going to get out of um, out of other types of memberships. Yeah. Um, Property Council is another one that we're involved in. Uh, and that's that's similarly um, pan industry, but it's at a different level. So that's much more um, clients, it's consultants, it's other architects, but it's also valuers. It's also um, property people, property managers. So it's a it's a different different group, but the principle is the same: that you're dealing with people outside your direct focus. And able to uh, to um, to draw information from them, so both of those memberships have, have been incredibly helpful. Mm. How do we improve communication and communication in general? 
I think it's just some of those things we've talked about. It's it's talking. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually making the step to, to open those doors and have those conversations. Coffee. Coffee goes a long way. Yeah. Never never be shy of taking a coffee from an architect or, or taking a, buying a coffee for an architect. Mm-hmm. I like uh, I like coffee. Yeah. On, on site. <laughs> um, that's one of the benefits of working in a shopping centre project is that there's always coffee <laughs> right. nearby. Um <laughs> But you know those that that's that's all relationship building and and mm. and it, even that is getting you to a point where where somebody's comfortable saying, "I've got what might be a silly question can i can I ask you yeah, why did you do this like this or or why why didn't you do it like this or or you know and it might not even be particularly relevant, but it's just something that somebody wants to understand, and that's yes. having that relationship where they don't feel like they can't ask you that mm. you know it's easy easy yeah. stuff yeah but you know as you say you've got to manage that with as the guy on an alley rate and <laughs> am i <laughs> gonna get wrapped over the knuckles because he's just said someone to build <laughs> yeah there is always that i guess i mean is it a, is it a little bit about respect as well in terms of you have to be able to respect someone else's profession and what they're doing to kind of sit down and feel like, right, this is a conversation worth having. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. And I think, I, I, I mean, I, I don't think there's any contractor role or, or, or subcontractor role or consultant role that, that isn't, um, you know, uh, someone who's worked really hard or, or studied really hard or a specialist at stuff like, I don't understand heaps of it mm, yeah exactly <laughs> and like there's there's no one no no subcontractor no contractor no consultant that that doesn't know more than me yeah um so there's always stuff to to learn or pick up on and you know it's interesting yeah and, you know little bits you learn just helps especially me like if i'm standing there going why does that pipe come down here and then back up there and like how does that work and is that wrong or yeah what's that got in it is it <laughs> yeah you know i'm just like oh, i've got no idea but i'll i'll go to ask someone what, what's going on up there what's that yeah. and they might just go oh it's just plumbing <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> we are. okay yeah all right yeah didn't learn much out of that one but yeah you know they might go oh well it's a such and such and because of the siphonic nature of that it, the pipe can go up and down it's under pressure so it doesn't need to be gravity fed and like, yeah hey, that all makes sense that's cool i understand what's going on there i don't don't have to look confused at it and take a photo and then you know go to the hydraulic consultant and go what's that yeah <laughs> why, why is that flying uphill yeah um, so you know it's uh yeah it seems like the only requirement to kind of uh enjoying your career in this industry is being a bit of a construction nerd in general um you know you have to have a bit of a passion for it and want to ask those questions and just know how the heck does that hvac duct actually do what it does in terms of whatever just get it done you know what i mean uh, yeah. there's that element of if you are legitimately interested in it 
and you are just baffled by how people can do it. You know, like sometimes builders get in a vortex. I can speak for myself. It's like, Psh, we don't need anyone else. I know how to build this. And then you don't have a set of plans and you're like, oh, yeah, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, look, that, that whole aspect of being on site is one that I really love. Like, mm. I used to be a documenter. So I used to be the one sitting in the office drawing. And that's great and you get really efficient and it's it's easy, you know it gets to a point where it's you know it's good it's easy you just turn up document go home but you get a bit of exposure to being on site and those interactions and and particularly problem solving you know mm. like that's part I really enjoy it challenges you and you have to come up and find a solution and sometimes it's a case of making the best out of a bad situation but sometimes it's about achieving exactly what you need yeah um and and you get a bit of exposure to that and suddenly sitting in the office documenting doesn't seem all that exciting and i know i go through phases where i might have a big project that's going through documentation i'll just be like hanging out to go on site somewhere and go and look and do something look at something and i I don't have any excuses for getting out of the office (laughs) so um it kind of drives me a bit spare but um you know my my the times I enjoy most are the times where I've got a good mix of being in the office and documenting or, or supervising documentation and um, yeah, getting out on site and getting stuff built because mm. that's what does it. You know, Ultimately, drawing stuff's all well and good, but if no one's building it, what's the point? You True, know? yeah. It's, the, it's the, the act of delivering and, and opening that project. You know, some, of the, some of the best feedback you can get when a project is finished is... It's just standing there, and you know, someone might walk in the door with a with a with another person and go, "Oh wow, this is really cool! Remember what this used to look like? This yeah. crappy old mall." Yeah, <laughs> and you know that that kind of stuff is just like, yeah, that's yeah, that is <laughs> that yeah. is good. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's you know that's really enjoyable. That happens occasionally. You know, you might be there doing some snagging or something, and, mm-hmm. and you just get glimpses of conversation happening around you where people. Will, you know, actually appreciate that it's been a good outcome. Mm. It's good. Mm. So I'm interested in what you can say about Bucken in general and also how you kind of get to that level where you have those good interactions and also uh, I talk about a lot on the podcast, a lot of the listeners are builders um, and I talk a lot about carpentry apprenticeships and I'm interested in like the mentor-mentee relationship within an architecture firm, and maybe just how that, what that looks like within Bucken. If you have anything to say on that, hmm. um, so we're a relatively, um, we're a large practice, but we're a small studio. Mm-hmm. So we we hover around twenty. We're a little bit under twenty, eighteen, I think, at the moment. Yeah. Um, and of that eighteen, we're made up with um, two principals and two senior associates and an associate. So we're relatively management heavy. Mm-hmm. We'll ha- we'll typically have a a solid middle ground of technicians who are experienced and qualified, and we'll have um, three or four grads um, who are typically drafting or architecture uh, students who are have completed their training, but but not their qualification because they'll have to do practical, you know. Things. So, mm-hmm. uh, mentorship in our company is uh, is largely just leading those graduates through 
explaining what it is they need to achieve to make make them into design architects or or technicians. Mm. We have a few training programs, but they're not particularly rigid. Right. We do a few studio type things where we'll do a crit session once a week where somebody will pin a project up that they've been working on and just explain what they've been doing, what the principles are. Okay. If it's a design project, then there might be a a, a, a crit on why did you do that and why did you not do this and mm. had you thought about doing this. They work quite well because they allow the technical staff and the design staff to all comment on different aspects. That's been a really good learning experience. Um, we also do a collaborative one with our Auckland office uh, on on Zoom, which um, where mm. someone will present a project which is probably more developed than the crit session one, mm-hmm. um, where that gets um, gets discussed and uh, critted. Yeah, <laughs> critiqued. Um, but from a, um, I guess the, the the stuff that I'm directly involved in, the technical stuff, producing documentation, um, mentoring is just taking that time to explain why things are done the way they are and why your drawing that you've done's got so many red marks on it, which you need to correct and put a highlighter over, yeah. <laughs> and then give it back to me again. Um, but yeah, as I say, it's part of part of the biggest part of that learning is trying to understand why those things need to be changed, mm. um, and coordinating our work with others um, is a is a big learning for for our staff mm. uh, or any, any staff. Um, understanding that we have a responsibility to make sure that the other people we're working with are um, the things they're doing is working with the things we're doing. Um, so I guess at a, at a basic level that's the, the mentor mentee relationship but mm-hmm. again you know being approachable having time for people to come and ask you questions and go I don't understand why we're doing this this way and why aren't we doing it that way and I've heard that my friend who works at another company does this this way and why mm. are we not doing it and most of the time we'll have a reason yeah <laughs> um, but um, I guess it's, it's opening those opportunities for people to, to ask those questions and try and learn, especially when the, the grads, the architecture grads, are, are looking for registration. Um, they do a lot of training on the um, things like the Building Code, the Resource Management Act, all those um, controlling documents. <laughs> and they come up with questions that I probably can't answer because they're not things that I deal with on a day-to-day basis. Right. So um, that's that's always quite challenging, but um, you know, uh, contracts, you know, questions on contracts and contractual relationships, and um, you know, how to deal with contractual issues. Um, they are always quite interesting. There's people in the office that can answer those, and they're probably not always me. Um, yeah. But you know, that that's that's a good example of where they sort of do some research or do some study and then come out thoroughly confused and, and need some guidance on that and it's it's being able to say that person over there is the one to help you with that mm, <laughs> mm. but yeah for those people we also run some in-house training on those aspects we've got um, a couple of people in particular who are 
good at that tutoring role who will do little one-hour presentations on certain aspects specifically targeted at those grants who are, are going into um, to registration, which is basically a whole lot of oral examination mm. questions. But mentoring as well, I mean, that's that's trying to find time and the ability to take people to site yeah, okay. with me um, and then explain what I'm doing while I'm standing there looking. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, trying to... Um, yeah, trying to let, let them understand what our responsibilities are on site. You know, those things we talked about earlier, the things yeah. that I do. That's not always easy. You know, you, we've got clients who sort of say, well, what's that guy doing on site? I'm not paying for him. Yeah. <laughs> you have to explain, no, you're not paying for him. You're paying for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's here for free because he's learning or she's here for free because she's learning. You know, some clients aren't comfortable with, having hangers-on in meetings, for example. We've got mm. quite a lot of clients who, who will say, look, if someone's at a meeting and they're not talking, not contributing, I'm not paying for them to be there. Mm. You know, and and unfortunately, we have clients who, who will say that about consultants. You know, like, that guy didn't say anything. He's not coming next week. <laughs> like, oh, hang on, hang on. He probably learned quite a lot. He just didn't have to say anything. Yeah. So, so, you know, that's, that's uh, um, another challenging aspect of... Um, of mentoring and, and trying to bring people on. Mm. Um, but yeah, just, just normal things like trying to trying to let them let people carry out some of the admin side of things that we do. You know, I'll find it faster to just do it myself. But I've got to stop myself and go, no, let that person do it. Mm. Then correct it, let them redo it, and then we can send it out, you know. Mm. And 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 making time to let that happen. Not every time, but now and again. Yeah. It's, um, you know, writing instructions, writing formal instructions is quite a skill. You've got to use a, a, a language that is technical and formal, not conversational, mm. <laughs> um, and, and just professional, you know, and just trying to, you, you've got to explain exactly what you're trying to say. And, you know, the best instruction will say, why we've got this change let's call it a change you know we've got to change something you know the reason we've got to change it and then the offset you know you were doing this you're not doing that anymore now you do this so credit this charge extra for that got a the more clear communication the more clear you can be the better you can explain it everyone's going to understand and go good we all understand what we're doing rather than you know, you get a phone call two minutes after you've sent it. What does all that mean? <laughs> what am I trying to do here? What do you yeah. want? <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, you get a phone call from the QS going, is this extra or is it a credit or is it nothing? Is it, what, what's, what, how do I figure this out? So, you know, again, I punish all the guys with, you know, be really clear, make mm. it make it easy for everybody to understand Yes, you're making everybody else's job easy and you're probably spending more time on it yourself, but that's that's the outcome we need. Yeah. Spend more time if you have to explain it to three separate people again mm-hmm. than just taking the time to write it the best way you can. Mm. Um, and, you know, QA, QA is a painful thing to have to go through, but it's a great thing to stop, you know, foolishness going out the door. Yep. Um, I wish more people would be available to, to proofread all of my stuff. Yeah, true. You know, the number of emails I send out that 
the second you hit send and you're like, oh, that's <laughs> not the right word. Yeah. Like, Damn it. Yeah. Um, I wish I could slow myself down, but I'm good at QAing other people. I'm not so good at QAing myself. But, yeah. You know, I'd like all of my written instructions to get reviewed by somebody, but there's never time for that. No. But, you know, the more you can do, the better. Yeah. I get. It seems to be a common theme. I don't know if this is really a question, but it comes back to communication all the time, eh? And one thing I find, even in building, and it sounds like in architecture, you're kind of not necessarily tasked with tutoring or mentoring or bringing up an apprentice in building or bringing up a junior architect, but you're not really a teacher, you know what I mean? Um, That's not what you're paid to do, but you still kind of have to do it. And sometimes you have to find, I mean, somehow you have to find time to do it, Um, which is... I've, I could be wrong, but it feels like as we move further into the future, there's just less and less time to do that. Like I'll look at my program and I have three days to install Windows and not for half an hour do I have enough time to teach the apprentice how <laughs> yeah, to do any window, of yeah. that. Um, and it's just like, well, <laughs> I don't know how this is going to happen, but we got three days. Um, and I can, I'm sure it's the same in architecture. And it's like, yeah. how do you find time to communicate what you need to do because we're quite technically minded in construction you know um and i've heard and i've found a lot of people who are really skilled technically but if you can't communicate what you're doing technically then you're in trouble Absolutely. um and hey but but how you teach someone to communicate that it's not something you learn in college no, it might not even be something you learn on site mm. um it's something you've kind of got to learn by experience yeah. or come up with and like I said earlier about understanding or being able to speak the language of a builder or an architect mm. or a, a consultant, engineer, whatever it may be. Yeah, how on earth do we develop those skills? That's, yeah, that's hard. It's, it's really not taught, hard. eh? And you're right, really? it, does, it, gets, it gets harder. It doesn't get easier and easier. It gets harder yeah. and harder. And, you know, um, the pressures that, the time pressures that everything seems to be under the, at the moment or, or, or recently, it all it's all going one way. It's It's... You know, the worst thing ever is this fast track construction that that project managers have invented. Yeah, <laughs> where you just you start drawing, and then you start building, <laughs> and you hope that you can draw faster than 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 the guy across the table can build. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you get halfway through, you go, "Oh, actually, that didn't work out so well. Can we just go back and change all that?" It's like, yeah. no, this is fast track construction. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Mentoring, I think, if if there's some advice for for young people out there, it's um, it's be grateful and demonstrate that you are grateful for the time that's being put in because if you if someone can take the time to try and explain it and uh, and, and and help, if you don't come across grateful then they're not going to do it. You know, totally. I'm not going to mentor someone who's looking out the window, not interested. And, you know, sometimes you have to demonstrate that and sometimes you have to say, well, thanks. I, yeah, that was it was great. Thanks very much for explaining that to me. Yeah. I wouldn't have got to that point if you didn't. And if you're getting, getting the feedback and someone appreciates it, then it's easy to make that time. Yeah. It's your own time probably. But <laughs> it, yeah. it, you're not going to do it if, you, if you're not getting the feedback or not getting the thanks. You know, some people are, are really teachable. Yes. And some people are not teachable. Nah. And, and I'm not going to 
bash my head against the wall trying to teach someone who's not interested in, you know, the arrive at 8.33 and leave at 5.27. People get in, you get out what you put in. Yep. And, um, you know, just take your opportunities and, and, and make the most of them and be, you know, show some gratitude. Yeah. Is, is probably something that'll get you a lot more mentoring than than perhaps other people. Maybe that's that's unfair. But you know That's how it goes. Put the effort in. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we've talked a little bit about the NZIB. That's kind of how you and I met. You were highly commended for a consultant award in the twenty twenty NZIB Construction Industry Awards. Do you want to talk about that and then we'll kind of lead into just your projects and let's cover some things you're doing. You obviously did the Langlands Quarter and now you're working on um, Invercargill Central. Yep. Yeah, let's go into that. Cool. So um, <laughs> so the award uh, was an interesting one. Mm. Um, 2020, the um, the interrupted year of, of COVID. Mm. Uh, NZIOB were soliciting for... Uh, applications for the awards and there was a little bit of concern that with COVID there wouldn't be very many applicants and there was a bit of bit of drumming around going on so um, <laughs> I felt a little bit of pressure and, and thought oh, I could put I could put Landers Quarter in I'll put I'll put LQ in as a project and um, yeah we'll go with that so mm-hmm. I filled in the the initial bit and then they sent me a bit more information and I, I started filling it in the form and I, I realised at that point that the awards were not about the project, they were about the person. Right. And that I'd um, somehow unwittingly committed to um, putting myself forward for, a, for, the, for the awards, which, which was a little bit uncomfortable. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it became a, an expose on... on, on the some of the complexities of the project, some of the problems, some of the things that we had to do as a consultant group to reconcile those, and also the contractor, you know, working through. Um, but yes, the focus was was more about uh, about the role I played in that project, and uh, yeah, I, I guess I was lucky enough to be uh, one of the highly commended recipients. For that project, and I guess I, I'd like to think that's reflected a little bit in some of the stuff we talked about earlier, mm. in the um, the communication and the willingness, to, I guess, to try and bring some of those consultants on the, on the ride, um, bring their skills into line with what we needed um, for the project, and and I guess uh, I guess I was um, passionate about the project and and drove the project pretty hard as as the client had expectations that, that it would be driven. Langdon's Quarter, I guess, for those who aren't familiar with it, is a food and beverage hub, uh, which is part of Northland's shopping centre. It's a an area um, under the cinemas, um, which has good volume. It has some strange structure going on because of the tiered nature of the cinemas above. Um, and it was it was a retail area, and it has traditionally always been hugely underutilised. It has a cycle through of tenants. It's not the favoured aspect 
So it faces Langdon's Road, it faces south, it had some environmental issues with wind, with driven rain, with being on the south side, not, not gaining a lot of a lot of sun. So it was in part a structural strengthening project to bring that, that part of the building up to a higher MBS. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was done primarily with large uh, steel K-braces. And they were such a big element of the geometry that they couldn't just be hidden. So we had to do what architects do and make a feature of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we worked worked pretty hard on, on, on positioning those in places that were, were to the best effect or at least for some of them not seen. And then we decided to leave those as raw steel um, and a natural finish and expose them as part of the the aesthetic. It's um, being an existing space, we made the use of concrete floors, we made the use of concrete columns, we ground them all off and um, presented them as you would expect, um, riddled with holes and chases and patches of floor levelling compound and all the like. Uh, so, you know, it's an industrial aesthetic. There's mm. a lot of exposed steel. Mm-hmm. We built a tenancy framework that largely let the tenants put their little bit of excitement for their tenancy inside a controlled environment and try inside a frame, if you like. We introduced some texture, I guess, and a raised seating area with some timber work. We put a lot of greenery in. Mm combination of real plants and um, artificial plants artificial plants all at high level um, we we made the use of the volume by making a, a large space but then brought it down to a comfortable height by by lowering things like lights mm-hmm. exposed services down into that space so you get the benefit of the volume without it feeling like a warehouse mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as part of that project we we didn't we we stuck with the existing building frontage and then we developed two separate buildings out front mm-hmm. um, taking out a what was a, a an underutilised little bit of driveway where you could drive through and there was some taxi spots and some drop-off spots so we relocated those and built up to and a little bit over the boundary with some overhangs and built what were to be two probably bar cafe or, or, or bar restaurant tenancies out there as it turned out the, the the leasing for that turned them into a sales pizza and a coffee club and um, the idea was for those to be externally trading activating the street frontage and then drawing people through to what was a, a slightly elevated offer in the food court so it's not your not your basic food court with your, your normal six candidates but something a little bit more elevated mm-hmm. yeah it's uh it's a, it's a cool little space it, it feels feels good it works it it links strongly with the car parking building on system drive which was again horrendously underutilized there was no real link with the with the building you'd mm-hmm. park in the car parking building and then you'd sort of have to wander around until you found yourself an entry yeah so we put a direct entry in and, and activated that yeah, so cool project. So I was involved from the start as probably the primary contact for the project. Um, I managed the the staff who designed it, 
to some degree. They were Auckland based in this case because the client was Auckland based, so mm-hmm. they would they would communicate that design through to the client. But ultimately, I was responsible for making the deadlines and packaging how that design worked, and then after the sort of concept design that was brought down and documented in my office. So again, I supervised the documentation. I managed the consenting strategy, which was relatively complicated. Um, operating in an existing shopping centre, as we we often do, is very challenging. You've got um, a lot of high-risk construction happening where the public are nearby. Mm-hmm. So worked pretty hard with the fire engineer on the strategies around that and with the contractor when they were involved, working through all the CPU arrangements. Um, I think in the case of that project, we had three primary building consents. I think we amended one about seven times, the other one twice, and the third one three times. So, you know, uh, retail architecture, retail-based build architecture involves change. There's no mm. getting away from that. Mm. We design something which we think, you know, these tenancies are, are logical, and leasing will come along and someone will want 10 square metres less or 10 square metres more. Suddenly we're developing change all the way through. So mm. I kind of roll out the old line that we haven't finished shifting things around until two weeks after it's been built. So, um, you know, constant change and trying to manage the compliance pathways for that is is difficult. And what we tend to find is because we're perhaps experts at it, the people we're working with don't get it. You know, the consultants really struggle with the fact that we've got to commit to a design at day one, but it will change. And that is really challenging, particularly for the services guys. You know, they, they, they sort of they get into this mindset where they're like, well, it's going to change, so we won't finish designing it. We'll just do as much as we need to do to keep the architect happy. Mm. And, and, and you've got to get past that. You've got to design it, and then you've got to manage that change as it happens. And that's quite a, it's a difficult mindset um, if they haven't been involved in that, that um, base build retail mm-hmm. architecture before. It's it's particularly challenging when you're developing a whole area rather than isolated little tenancy pockets where you can manage that change. But you know, you, you might start out with ten tenancies and end up with eight, or you might start out with with eight and end up with ten. And you've yeah. got to you've got to manage that. You've got to find ways to 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 make the the services work, and that is challenging for them. But the biggest challenge is the mindset. Right. So at the at the start of the project, where we're largely working on feasibility, we we don't always get access to the tenancy spaces because while we're working on feasibility, if the project doesn't go ahead, those tenants are obviously remaining there. Mm-hmm. That makes it really hard to actually get in and do any any careful measure up. So we're very reliant on existing drawings, which are seldom correct, and we make a lot of a lot of assumptions, and we've had to document all the way through. So, so one of the bigger challenges with this project was dealing with that discovery as things were, were opened up, finding out that it, it wasn't built the way it was drawn, finding that things were in quite different places and having to adapt to setting things out quite differently. So yeah, that was that was probably one of the bigger challenges of this project. Hmm. I'm interested in the process behind, I guess, applying for an award or... You know, the way I see it is 
you probably found it while you were going through it. You didn't think of I could be awarded for my job. You know, it's just something that you're doing, and then to be judged objectively by something that's not necessarily judging your technical ability or even your did you deliver this on time and did the client make money and uh, you know what have you it's more so being awarded for something you did in the construction industry I'm just interested in to how you found that whole process and almost not so much selling yourself but I guess that being able to talk about your project objectively and think well these were the challenges and this is how I overcame them because um, a lot of people, I guess, just take it for granted as you're doing it. It's just what you're doing, you know. Yeah, and I think that's very true. I mean, as I said, I didn't expect to put myself forward for the award. Mm. It was very uncomfortable. I bet. Um, <laughs> very uncomfortable. But, yeah. But largely, um, I guess it was about identifying what the challenges were personally in the project mm. and how I dealt with them. One of the tough things is I think the judges were specifically looking for there to be a learning out of the project so what did you do on this project that enabled you to roll that knowledge on to the next project okay and and that was tough and like what what systems did you develop in this project that Mm. you could then adapt and use in the future and that was kind of tough because because it it, it's not as simple as that no you don't you don't reinvent the wheel suddenly on a project and then that becomes your new template yeah like uh, and i guess i had to break it back to what were the challenges and what were my philosophies i guess and trying to deal with that and Mm -hmm. and as you can probably imagine i rattled on about communication quite a lot yeah Um, (laughs) yeah which i won't punish you with again but um you know that, that that was really what it was it was trying to um you know trying to lift the consultants up and not not um not let them flounder mm-hmm. um, try and take them on the journey and mm. uh, all the other cliches but it was yeah and and look it, it's it's hideously uncomfortable um new zealanders as a rule are not people that hold themselves up for glory so no so you're right it's it's just uh this is the this is the process that we went through this is the job and this was the outcome and it was good yeah it's not all about you know, I turned up one day and I needed to do this and suddenly I got a inspiration. It's like, that's, that's not going to work, you know. There's yeah. no way I'm, I'm selling that. No, um, it's not that sexy actually, is yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. it's, um, yeah, it, it, ultimately it came down to being successful because everybody did what they needed to do. Yeah. And um, I, I guess if I'd won the award and not, um, not got the highly commended, I would have had to have made a speech and, yeah, the, the speech I wrote was largely saying this is really weird getting a award as a single person on a project which relies on all those people involved doing their job and doing their part True. and stepping stepping forward to pick up the the slack. Um, and yeah. and it's it it is you it's weird to give one person an award for a project because yeah I wouldn't have been able to do the project without every other person playing their part you know, what, how could you no <laughs> so to me it, it is a little strange that it's so focused on a person but i guess the um the way that award works is that they're, they're looking to i don't know get people to step outside their insured roles 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, for sure. Um, like, like the quote they used was something along the lines of, you know, Darren exceeded the expectations of stepped outside the traditional role to take on additional responsibilities and, mm. and you know boss is like we're not insured for that <laughs> <It's> like, whoa <laughs> what did you do i'm like no i didn't do that that's not, yeah. what, it, that's not what i said yeah <laughs> but yeah. you know it's just a, it's a sound bite it is yeah and it wasn't quite right i mean i think probably the better description is uh that i worked hard to push the other consultants yes to um do their part at a higher level or something i don't know you know but, yeah but like i didn't do anything i'm not insured to do yeah <laughs> but you know that's 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 sort of it's kind of weird they're looking for something inspirational or something you know earth shattering but usually there isn't something like that no and, and, a, and a, i reckon a good consultant is one that does their job and helps other people do their job and you know, no one kills each other at the end. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's hard to award that to a singular person, though. You know, because I, I, I think no matter who you are, no matter how big your ego is, if you're willing to take all the credit for a project, then you're a pretty brave yeah. person. And, you know? and how can I take credit for even the architecture of it when, you know, there's six people sitting in in my office who did a lot of work on that. Yeah, and, and yeah, I'm probably in charge of them, but they did a lot of the work and they need a lot of the credit. Yeah. And that's the thing, like it's, yeah. But, then, but uh, then, yeah, but then again, it shouldn't just be brushed off, you know. We should kind of award individuals for their efforts yeah. on projects. Um, yeah. I guess, yeah, it's, yeah, it's hard to do that though, you know, because, yes, but then it should be celebrated that it is such a collaborative effort yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think some of those team awards are, are, are probably more genuine mm. in terms of you know you have a project where you have a team that all gels that all works hard that all deal with the issues and come out the end mm-hmm. i think that's a more genuine representation of a project than a here's a guy that stood up and couldn't stop talking and and, and let's uh, let's him take the credit for that <laughs> yeah. you know i don't know um, yeah tricky, it's a tricky it is a tricky one and look honestly i would never have entered the award if i had read the instructions properly and understood that it was all about one person <laughs> yeah um, but well. then again you know <laughs> you don't want to downplay your own hard work at the end of the day you know i think it's important for people in the industry to kind of stand up and be recognized because it's easy to get swept under the rug for the amount of work that you do and then the thing's built and you walk away and you you know you never thought about it again because it's done and you yeah. did your job and there it goes yeah so yeah, yeah. Let's go on to your kind of project that you're working on now. And I mean, I suppose part of that award was, oh, how did you, what did you learn to take on to the next project? Has that rang true? Or just in general, let's talk about Invercargill Central and yeah. how did it come about? How, how are you involved in it? What is it going to look like? Yeah, so Invercargill Central, probably seen some social media about it. It's a, yeah. it's a large development. It is partially privately funded and it is partially council funded it is it's the best description is it's the development of a city block the central city block in Invercargill with the exception of a few buildings which remain mm-hmm. um, it's a mixed use development it is largely a um, urban retail center it's not a shopping mall it's a lot more fine grain than a shopping mall but mm-hmm. it's a ground floor retail development with a couple of food areas it has a 
mezzanine level with a little bit of office and a couple of restaurants. Uh, it has a four-story car park over top. Mm-hmm. It has a department store, farmers, and a childcare centre. Mm. And it's all, um, all all joined together. There's an existing cinema complex on the site. There's a hotel adjacent on to the site. And there is um, some other um, office-type development, his heritage building on the corner. Our development stage one, two, and three is what I just described. There's then a, an office tower on an adjacent part of the site. And there's two provisional sites, um, one that was earmarked for residential apartment and one that's earmarked as a medical centre, mm-hmm. uh, a large medical centre integrated, probably four or five storeys. And they all tie together. They all have links. There's a um, pedestrian linkage and operational linkage through those. Uh, it's a big project. It's a great project. We became involved in a competition for the for the architectural concept, which which largely just needed us to put forward a proposal, a bit of a master plan. Um, we were lucky enough to get selected to carry that forward and spent uh, a long time developing that design and moving through the brief that it, it's reasonable to say the client um, body wasn't in a position to write a brief mm-hmm. didn't really know what they wanted mm. they took a lot of guidance um, and, and you know to be fair we had a pretty free hand and where we came on that we, we did a lot of options um, I wasn't involved in the project early on so I came in, into the project as we were working up the documentation. Uh, so I was busy on Langdon's Quarter <laughs> at yeah. the time. Uh, it took about 18 months to, to work through the design principles of that. Mm. And look, that was by no means finished when we started having to like crack into it. Yeah. So again, a little bit like Langdon's Quarter, but on a bigger scale, there was multiple building consents. We were doing multiple amendments to those building consents. Very complex uh, compliance strategy. So we did quite a lot of high-level work on how that would work in terms of consenting. You know, Invercargill City Council probably made the call early that they weren't able to process the building consents. It's 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 a probably a project that's outside of their ability right. um, or experience level. Mm. So um, they subcontracted that that processing of the building consents to a, a private company in Christchurch who advised them on that, who right. worked on their behalf. Mm-hmm. So we were able to engage with those guys um, quite early and build up a quite unique compliance strategy and how we were going to consent that, um, which enabled us to not have to prove compliance at each stage or each consent, but allowed us to transfer compliance. This is probably getting a bit but bit boring, but it, it, it's it's quite innovative, and the innovative part of it is probably the council let us do it. Yeah. And, and in terms of, I know other councils would just have said, no, that's not going to work. Mm. We can't we can't consent something that doesn't demonstrate compliance. Mm-hmm. Um, but taking them on the journey and, and working through that over a series of meetings meant that 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 became a really good outcome. It needs to be proven to close the door <laughs> on it, but but like yeah, you know, we're building. Yeah. Put it that way. Yeah. Um, and we do demonstrate compliance, but it means that we can't demonstrate compliance of this bit until this bit's built. Okay. And that's largely because the first two buildings 
um, have sprinklers in them. Right. But we don't build a sprinkler tank or a sprinkler valve room until later on in the project. Okay. And from a logistics perspective, we couldn't get that across the line earlier because mm. there was a whole lot of moving parts that weren't, weren't aligned. But all yeah, we basically had to promise that <laughs> here's a bunch of sprinklers, they'll all work at the end. <laughs> you know, yeah. same with power, you know. There's no transformer, but there'll be one later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and we won't ask you to sign it off until we've put it all in and, and turned it all on. Right. So, so it's a trust-based exercise, I guess. And um, I guess they had the, the commitment that it's a, partly a council project, mm-hmm. so they kind of knew there wasn't going to be a pullback and a, we're not actually we're not building this anymore scenario. And, and, and the big risk for them, of course, is we build the first bit and then we can't compl- demonstrate compliance. Mm-hmm. And we just stop and go, well, you consented it. Yeah, that's yeah. the risk. Because they go, well, you can't use it. Like, mm. well, it's your fault. So, mm. you know, um, a trust-based um, approach, but pretty complex. That was that was probably one of the more, well, one of the challenging aspects. The other aspect is that it's just a big project and there's lots of parts. And um, generating that amount of documentation and actually trying to QA that is, is very difficult. Yeah, around about a thousand sheets drawings across three stages. Um, you know, you can't even pick them up printed at A three, nah. let alone actually read down and read them. Uh, so it's it's just the scale is it's a big project. And yeah, sure, every big project's made up of a whole lot of little bits, but um, getting all those little bits in a line and you know, at, at one point I think we had fifteen or sixteen people working on it, which is which is quite a lot, but not unusual. But you know, these guys probably punch above their weight in terms of what their outputs are. You know, okay. they're, they're good. A good staff who would probably, you know, one or two of them would nail a normal project. So mm. the, there's a lot of firepower in there, and and they were gener- generating drawings pretty quick. And nice. of course, my responsibility to oversee was very difficult, based on volume. We were in a lockdown for half of it. Everyone was working from home. Yeah, I spent all day on on Teams calls trying to keep people busy doing yeah. you know, what what did they what did each person need to do? Something that takes five or ten minutes in the office with each person mm-hmm. takes forty five minutes on a Zoom call for mm. it. Um, and my whole day was just spent with communicating with the team and maybe communicating with a couple of consultants, keeping everybody moving. But it basically meant that I was committing well completing nothing of my own tasks you know Mm -hmm. normally i try and spend half a day doing things i need to do and half a day getting everybody else doing things i need them to do but it was it was impossible for me during lockdown it just wasn't everything slowed down communication slowed down yeah so yeah that was a was a big challenge but but look they're building they've got a whole lot of panels up they've got a whole lot of car park columns up they're pouring floors sweet it's all structure so far, but um, yeah, it's, a, it's an exciting project. Yeah, I bet. The one thing that comes to mind with a project like that, um, so many people, it probably takes up like most of your office on a project like that. Okay, I'm not an architect, but something that would, I can't put it any other way, that it would just freak me out, the idea that's, that um, you're being tasked with building like the cultural hub of a community and it's like okay we get to design that and we get to make sure it gets built maybe initially 
does that freak you out as someone who's overseeing that? I mean, at the end of it, it just becomes, okay, let's just get it done. At the end of the day, it's like that's going to stand there for quite a while and it's yeah. going to affect a lot of people's lives. Architecturally zooming out of, you know, the day-to-day, it's quite a big task, eh? You it know? is, yeah. It's yeah. a big responsibility. And, yeah. But, you know, that's not my responsibility solely and that's, I guess, what... What I have to be careful with, you know, I, I'm not an, I'm not driving the design on that. There's, there's several people who are very, very committed on that design, and, and they bear that design responsibility. Yeah, it's ultimately my responsibility to deliver or make sure it's delivered. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that's pretty stressful. But mm. It's not stressful yet because it's right. all about the structure at the moment. Yeah, but once they start um, attacking that on all sides, working on architecture, then yeah, I'm going to be. I'm going to be spinning out. <laughs> yeah, um, I bet. But no, yeah. it's, a, it's a big project. It's a big project. Yeah. It's a great project. Yeah, it is. Because um, we've talked about it before. People who are listening obviously haven't been privy to it, but you're, you're salvaging things that were previously a part yeah. of facades and stuff like that. That's Do you right. want to talk a little bit about that? Because obviously it is partially, like you say, a council project. Yeah. There's some heritage involved in the building. How are you incorporating that into your design and your thinking of how the project's going to be delivered. Yeah, so I guess going back a step on that, the, the site before we started our development had had a lot of buildings on it. Mm-hmm. A lot of those had, had heritage values. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that building stock was very poor. You know, we're talking some of those were down at 10% uh, MBS, right. which basically means they're very dangerous. Yeah. Um, some of them were a better... MBS, they were stronger, safer buildings, but they were in a, a layout that just made them unusable in, in modern day. Mm-hmm. You know, you might have a small footprint with with a, a with a big stair in it, which leaves you no floor area on each floor. Yeah. Um, you know, just unusable stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of heritage assessment done. Mm-hmm. We worked with Heritage New Zealand really hard to try and save the best parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and we settled on retaining the three heritage facades. Mm-hmm. So they're, um, they literally get a big steel frame to hold them up, and the building's behind them demolished, and then we build them back behind them, right. reutilizing those facades. That was kind of the, that was the, the big picture elements of heritage. But as well as that, there were a lot of things identified that had particular value, and we would were encouraged to reuse those mm-hmm. or to include them in as aspects of our design. Or if we weren't able to do that, we were encouraged to make them available for other people to use, particularly in the development, but mm-hmm. not specifically. Mm-hmm. And so that included some interesting things, like there is a, a large clock on one of the buildings. It was a, it was a railway station clock at one point but it had been up on the building, and so that had been carefully taken down and salvaged, and um, that's being refurbished to be put back inside the development. There are simple things like, you know, there's a lot of cast iron veranda posts, which were highly decorative and and, and pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So a lot of those got salvaged, a lot of those got damaged during the salvage, but a lot of those got salvaged. (laughs) There's some lead light and glass panels, which were pretty cool. There are a lot of little detail items there was um there was some pretty cool lion heads which which were part of the decorative element of veranda um struts mm-hmm. or, or braces 
they were identified for salvage. Unfortunately, they um, they were too it was too dangerous to get those off. But mm-hmm. they were going to be converted into light fittings on the interior. Right, that would have been pretty cool. Yeah, we got a we got a, a, a lot of things, but we also took inspiration from some of the items that weren't able to be salvaged. There were some Art Deco shop fronts that had quite a quite a cool design through them. Mm. So that's been subtly reflected through a lot of the interior design. Right, um, it's been incorporated into furniture and those sorts of things. Okay. We salvaged a heap of timbers, um, which are getting reused through furniture, made into tabletops in the food areas, or right. um, used as column cladding. Yep. Um, there's a there's an old fireplace which we're reusing in one of the one of the lounge area, lounge type seating areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's been quite interesting. Not something we normally mm. normally faced with, but that's been um, been interesting to work through. Mm. There's a heritage architect who who we needed to engage with who reviews what we do okay. and, and says whether we're doing honest things with heritage. You know, right. What you don't want is to be introducing a whole lot of pastiche or, 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 or picking something you think's heritage when it's actually not. It's something that they made out of MDF in the 90s. You know, yeah, there's right. There's a whole lot of that going on. Right. We, 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 we all thought that some of the windows were really cool, but then we found out that they actually weren't original and they were they were built in the, in the 1980s and all the decorative things are made out of MDF. And we were like, you know, well, we're not using them again. <laughs> so, you know, um, yeah. that's been an interesting exercise. It's been really cool to collaborate with, with him mm-hmm. and find out what um, what his drivers have been of, for the project. And, okay. And... Um, you know that's that's been really interesting because we would have, I would have perhaps thought that was a more flamboyant reuse of things than it is. When the reality is, it's like, well, actually, originally this would have been quite subtle. So we don't want to paint it bright orange or anything like mm-hmm. you know, just, just it's there, it's good. Keep it mm-hmm. subtly um, present it. Yeah. I think to wrap it up, I'm going to drop you on the deep end a little bit. <laughs> And say, kind of, what's next for you? And not so much what you think should be next for the industry in general, but I think we need to set goals. I'm quite a goal-oriented person, and you kind of need to have those throughout your career and keep some sort of focus in mind, I suppose. Although most of us in the construction industry are in a position to be like, well, this is what I want to do and you're going to listen to me and I'm going to get to do this project. What kind of direction are you sort of heading in, I guess, philosophically, career-wise, and if you have anything to say on the industry at large and where we should, could, maybe could be heading, I'd be interested to hear about it. Mm. Um, that is the defense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I guess uh, I guess in the short term, Invercargill Central is is kind of it uh, for the next few years. Yeah. Um, literally just just on site now, building structure, um, mm-hmm. and and the architecture will, will soon follow. Yeah. I guess longer term, as a senior associate, I've probably come pretty close to plateauing in terms of this practice. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily see myself moving off into the sunset or heading off into another another practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy the work we do, and I particularly enjoy the work we don't do. Yeah, if that right. makes sense. Yeah, so yeah. Not a not a guy that wants to be doing one off houses. Mm-hmm. Um, so look, I'm I'm I personally I'm pretty comfortable 
where I'm at and in the working in the sectors that I work in industry wide. I guess the thing about the construction industry is there is always change and in the last five years probably the biggest change has been the fast track construction and that's been probably quite an unsuccessful thing from mm-hmm. my perspective and I think probably the next big change in the industry is moving towards more of a design build um, I think there's going to be a change in responsibility mm-hmm. I think contractor led construction is probably going to move forward quite how we deal with that I'm not sure but Australia is quite a different model to New Zealand in that aspect and they they have a, a longer history of, of design build construction I think there's some challenges to navigate around that particularly for design and how design can still be protected when it's largely controlled from a dollar value when architecture or architects are novated to a contractor suddenly um, there are challenges around quality design or design quality quality and and cost Mm. Um, and I think that is something that is going to roll out and yeah there's a lot of challenges around that and I think there's got to be a lot of a lot of good conversation and and I I guess there's got to be good aspects that we can learn from Australia and, and other countries Japan where those things are happening but there's got to be some pitfalls that we can try and avoid and there's you know, it's no point no point us following the same process as Australia does and going through all the problems that, that they've gone through as well we've got to, got to probably try and advance faster through the problem areas and, mm. and, and get to the um, get to the benefits so yeah that's that's a broad outlook so challenges ahead I guess thanks for your time Thanks for telling your story and sharing it with us. I appreciate it. No problems. All right, thanks for listening, friends. That was episode 38 with Darren Alderson. Darren, in his bio on his company website, says the following, I'm motivated by achieving construction, the act of getting things built. Awesome quote. Good communicator knows how to speak the language of construction, uh, which takes a lot of learning. Enjoyable conversation. Thanks very much to Darren for his time. If you get a chance and if you're in Christchurch, there's a few projects you can visit from Buckingham Group and ones that have had Darren's influence. So they are, of course, Langdon's Calder and Northlands Mall, the Hub Hornby Shopping Centre and currently working on Invercargill Central down there in the bottom of the South Island. Thanks again to Darren for his time. Enjoyed that episode, enjoyed that conversation. There was a couple of beers going down uh, in the Buchan office there recording that one. Apologies, the sound might have not been too flash on that one. Uh, That's really down to me being a rookie at recording audio. Being in an architect's studio, everything is hard and sharp and clean and very reflective. And yeah, we're kind of stuck in a glass room there. Not the best for recording. I hope it came out 
listenable. I think it did. Just want to quickly give a thanks to all the listeners of this podcast. Chippeway Podcast has been going for just over a year now. I've really enjoyed making these. I've got to talk to so many cool people. The podcast has had tens of thousands of listens, something that I'd never really thought I would do or get to be involved in. So I'm going to keep on trying to do these for as long as I can and get the, the opportunity to talk to really interesting and capable people like Darren. I've learned a lot. Hopefully some people in the audience have found it useful. If you'd like to interact with the podcast in any way, you can check out my Instagram, Chip Away Carpenter. I'm always looking for new guests, so if anyone has any recommendations or would like to be a part of the show, then that's somewhere you can get in contact with me. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for your time. Appreciate all the subscribers and the kind reviews that I'm getting. That helps out a lot. Gets this out to more people. So again, much appreciated. Until the next one, keep chipping away.